Well, I'm super glad that you are here for this shoulder stand tech. Um, to me, shoulder stands are all about um, kind of counteracting the impact of gravity, and it offers you levity. Not only just in your physical body, like you were saying, with like a dowager's hump or a pinched nerve or tingling sensations, but it gives you levity in your life and in your body-mind connection because it's a lot about working on your endocrine system and your central nervous system. So it's really, really a very powerful pose. I don't know if you've ever heard this before you came into the room, but it's the mother or the queen of all asanas. And so who do you think the king is? <clears throat> yeah, the headstand, very good. The headstand and, the, and the, um, the shoulder stand, the queen of your practice and the king of your practice, allow you to find a lot of harmony in your life. And they are said to be more advanced practices, but truly when you find the levity and the lightness, it isn't really an advanced practice. It's just something that is a daily ritual or routine that you can bring into your um, vinyasa or your flow, or you can just practice on its own to give you uh, unique powers, as yogis call them. They allow you to restore and rejuvenate. It allows you to increase circulation to the blood and the lymph system, and it stimulates detoxification, which in turn, if you're working your lymph system, obviously you're gonna work your hormones too, because your pituitary and your thyroid are in that region. And so it's really, really an amazing pose to help you to speed up your metabolism. It helps you to um, create a downward flow of energy through that blood, lymph, and energy from your feet through your abdomen to your chest and your throat. So a lot of people call it the fountain of youth. Have you ever heard that before? I think it's really cool because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I want to do this pose way more often. But it is an advanced pose, and that's why this is an advanced tech tonight, is because um, this fountain of youth because so many people have a fear of neck stuff or have had um, car accidents or are just really um, bear so much weight in their shoulders that they're really afraid of getting into this space um, that truly is the fountain of youth. A lot of times this restores the quality of yin or the cooling and calming, the nourishing or nurturing aspect of your life which is cool. Um, and um, this potent effect of this inversion has a lot of metaphoric language into it. And I put that when we're going to talk about our list of the Sanskrit words. There are bandhas that you incorporate into it. There's mudras you could even do with it. And it stimulates your agni. Have you ever heard of the word agni in Sanskrit? It's that inner fire, your burning passion, but that inner fire, it helps create the heat uh, and the upward and downward winds in the body of prana and apana. So you're stimulating all of that stuff, which is great. Um, let's say the name of the pose in your Sanskrit. On the page one, it says Sanskrit and then the asana. So let's talk about it's... Salamba, Salamba, Sarvangasana. Awesome. So by definition, it means a supported shoulder stand, but literally it's translated as 
to support all limbs posture or the posture of the entire body. And as it's referred to as the queen or mother of all asanas, it helps to bathe your endocrine system and balance your hormones. The easeful access of the first bandha, we're going to talk about that Jalahar and Dharabandha at the throat, stimulates your thyroid and parathyroid, while the overall inversion can increase blood flow to the heart without strain. It can improve your digestion and elimination, and it even this fun pose or inversion is um, a way to kind of meet life. Like I had said when we initially started talking, it's about levity and lightness. It's a really introspective pose because it is all about more of internal gazing. What yogis call when you do a lot of these kind of plow shoulder stand poses, it starts to stimulate the pratyahara, where that sense withdrawal, where you're drawing inward. So that makes it really a great way to start to uh, calm the monkey mind or soothe your nervous system. I think this is a great pose because as it's working on your spinal column and soothing your nervous system, it tones your glutes, your back, your thighs, and your abdominal walls. And in turn, this makes this a pose that really balances your stability. So tonight we're going to do a pose against the wall, which will be really great. And I'm going to have you start off our practice together with a yin bolster version. There's lots of different ways that you can teach this to people. Um, it's a cure-all for most common ailments that we um, encounter. And it ignites, just like what I was talking about, that internal vision and the fifth chakra, which is called the Vishuddha associated with creativity and self-expression, another way we're drawing ourselves inward as we practice. Um, you can see from the body parts affected from Kamenov's book, I put in some pictures. It's working on all kinds of muscles. And so you can see it's really a whole body practice. One thing to remember when you're working with students is that you can hold the shoulder stand anywhere from a minute to 20 minutes or longer. So a lot of times people will be like rushing at the end of practice and they can't really fit it in. You don't want to rush it. You want to really create space for it because this is something you can hold for a pretty long time to get a, that calming effect. The props that you want to think about having here are a block a strap and some blankets and even you can do it using a chair so we're going to try something with a chair when we work into that when you gain stability in this pose you're really turning your attention into your inner universe or your of your inverted body and it's reorienting you so that the energy flows down will actually flow up so what is your downward flowing energy apana, right? Because we talk about the prana, the inhale, that upward movement, that springtime in your body, the rebirth, um, which is your life force. But the apana, a lot of times we talk about it's an exhale, it's a letting go. It's like when the leaves on a tree in fall come to the ground. 
and it allows you to rebirth with the apana so that we get to flip our switch, literally, and allow prana and apana to unite at the navel center. And these opposites create the combustion, the heat, or that agni that I had mentioned that fuels the fire, that transforms everything. All of your experiences, whether it's food, emotional stuff, and it brings you back into balance or back into awareness. So have you ever had one of those days where you're like, Never, right? (laughs) Or you ever had one of those days where you just feel like you're really scattered and erratic? Well, Iyengar talks about how persons suffering from breathlessness, palpitation, asthma, bronchitis, and throat ailments get relief from this posture. You also get your head on straight by inverting because you flip perspectives and you stoke that internal flame to harness the pure potentiality of breath instead of being really erratic and scattered and throwing it to different places. So it brings you back to drop into center, to drop into awareness, which is the same thing that the inversion of your headstand would do, your king of your practice. And then we have, um, back to the front sheet, other poses that help you to build up to this queen of your practice, your shoulder stand, the Salamba Sarvangasana, is Setu Bandasana, which is your bridge pose, Sasangasana, which is rabbit pose, and then legs up the wall pose, your Viparita Karini. And legs up the wall pose is a great modification. If a student said to you, oh, I can't do this pose because I have a rod in my neck, or I had whiplash, or um, I um, threw out my back, or I feel really uncomfortable, or I'm pregnant and I don't feel like going into that position. Then you have the opportunity to give a legs up the wall pose, which does some of the same stuff, helping varicose veins, helps to flip perspectives in your body, reboots your superhuman machine. If you can go from bridge pose to legs up the wall pose, then we take students into halasana or plow pose. And then you would lead up to your shoulder stand. When you come back from your shoulder stand, another great way to get into that um, kind of compression or a complement to your Salamba Sarvangasana, it says here is Karna Pindasana or your ear pressure pose. How many of you have practiced ear pressure pose? Okay, well, we're going to do it tonight, so it'll be good. And then you have the, um, I put in here the word Jalhandara Bandas, which means net bearing bond. It coalesces the energy of the glands in your throat. And it's the third Bandas that we talk about when we're getting our positives and negatives, when we're trying to stoke that internal flame and we use the deep diaphragmatic breath. It's the third engagement or the third Bandas. So I wanted you to have that in there because you're really um, accessing that bandas when you do this pose. 
and most times we only talk about the first two bandhas, which is the mula bandha at the base, the root lock, and the uddiyana bandha, which is the flying up lock. That is really a lot about getting prana and apana to work together. But then, when you do a lot of inversion practices, then you're starting to get that Jalhandara Bandha, which really allows the endocrine system to go to work and be highly functioning. It sets you straight. When we talk about the queen um, of all asanas and we really talk about this advanced version of inversion, it allows you to exhibit strength and it is really working to overcome fear. Why do you think a lot of teachers don't teach this pose? The neck. The neck, right? And so there's that fear of even teaching it, but also the students don't want to do it because they have this fear that they're going to hurt themselves in the pose. But if you work from the bandhas and you work from that internal engagement, you won't actually do anything but heal yourself as you go into this pose. I'm really always humbled um, because I had a whiplash experience myself and the doctors wanted to do something to my C5, C6 and I said no and I practiced yoga and was able to really work on healing myself instead of getting the shot that they wanted me to have and to get the like, you know, uh, surgery they wanted to do to fix it. So this po posture, instead of avoiding it, allows you to prepare your body for action. It stimulates, as you say, the physical benefits under the benefit section. It stimulates the sympathetic nervous system. It counteracts damage of accidents, bad posture. You're reversing your blood flow. Uh, it increases immunity and prevents illnesses. It allows your body to energize as it's creating this incredible agni, this heat, this fire. And through all of this process and all of these things that are written there for you to kind of like look at, it's balancing your systems, but it's giving you confidence and humility. One thing that I think is fun as Minnesotans is that if you, burst, you bust out of wintertime doldrums and you access your hibernating stores of internal energy. Um, another thing that's really good is that it's therapeutic for high blood pressure, <coughs> for people who have breathing issues, asthma, flat feet, sciatica. And the energetic benefits of this pose, which is really great, is that it stimulates all of your chakras. You're literally allowing serotonin, the happy hormone, to move through your body because as you flip perspectives and start to really um, activate all of these chakras, and um, it gives you so much energetic and emotional balance. And as it's confidence boosting, it gives you the perseverance to break through all of the insecurity and fear that we like to hold on to. It's actually a natural painkiller, which I think is pretty amazing. And in turn, it, re it relieves stress and tedium. One thing you want to work uh, think about when you're looking at the issues or challenges to watch out for 
is if someone has a high blood pressure or any um, eye or inner ear infections at that time, I wouldn't recommend you do that because of the pressure that everything, the blood flow is starting to go in a totally different direction. Because when we stand, gravitational force is pulling everything downward. So then when we come into this flipped perspective, it's a little bit intense. If someone has a heart condition, obviously, or say like um, detached retinas or something like that, you want to make sure that they ask a doctor before they do something like this, before just going in. And I always like to like tease people, but as yogis, we're not doctors. We just kind of play them on TV when we start becoming teachers. Because this isn't like, we're not certified therapists. We haven't gone through the medical boards and have our degrees and stuff like that. But we're really giving ourselves the opportunity to teach people how to heal themselves. So we're more guides than we are. So I always tell people if they have a challenge or a question or a doubt that they should talk to their doctor or not, maybe not do it. And then the other thing too is, is that um, menstruating women or people who are on their ladies' holiday should really think about not doing this at that time um, because of endometriosis. Because sometimes the blood likes to go outside of just the places that we usually think um, when you have your period it goes to. Endometriosis, almost 80% of women have it without even knowing about it. And so we don't want to trigger something um, when you are kind of having on your cycle. Just give them a ladies holiday. And like in, uh, have you ever read the book called The Red Tent? Right, that's a great book. In ancient cultures and um, also in older practices like Ashtanga, some of the more traditional practices, they have you take a lady's holiday. They have you not practice during your cycle. And then in turn, you almost follow the lunar cycles. And in turn, you're not supposed to practice yoga on the lunar cycles or the major phases of the cycle because we are so much intertwined energetically with the ha and the ta, the sun and the moon. So it's, it's really beautiful how everything just starts to interconnect and weave together. So ha is the sun, ta is the moon. And everything that we work on in hatha yoga is all about the balance. The energetics of the practice are pretty fan fascinating because when you start really thinking about the chakras and the energetic systems and how we have over 72,000 meridian lines of energy in our body and they're called nadis and they mean little flowing rivers of energy. When these little flowing rivers of energy intersect, the major intersections is what yogis call chakras. And as they connect, and move together, then these chakras start to create more of a broader awareness. So when you're in alignment and everything's flowing properly, it says that you move more into higher states of consciousness or your prefrontal cortex. And then you open up like wings. So a lot of times in the diagrams, you have the central access channel of your body, which is called the Shushumna Nadi. And then um, you have a picture of a sun and a moon, 
and that's the where the balance of the two hemispheres. So you're always trying to balance out the ha and the ta. It's pretty amazing. And isn't it interesting we have an inhale and an exhale? Or we have a king and a queen of our practice. Or we have the apana and the prana. That we're always working with these dynamic opposites to find the fluidity and get the energy to flow freely and openly. But when our head gets the best of us and we're not balanced in the hemispheres of our brain, then the ha and the ta can't work together and find harmony. And our ultimate goal of our practice is to get rid of pain and suffering and to find harmony and ease and moksha. Have you ever heard of moksha? That's like my favorite Sanskrit word, moksha, freedom, liberation. M-O-K-S-H-A. Moksha. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Freedom or liberation. Our ultimate goal is to make friends with our thoughts because we are not our thoughts, right? Our monkey mind gets the best of us. But if we can drop in and settle into awareness and balance out the ha and the ta, right? Our positives, our negatives, our good and bads, then we can really find center. You'll learn about this when you kind of go through the sutras and some of the other things um, where you dive deeper into the philosophy of it because it's the raga and the devesha. Yeah, it's pretty cool. After, um, on your sheets, where it talks about the issues and challenges to watch out for, and you've balanced um, yourself through this pose, I gave you a bunch of questions to think about, because I want you to think about, do you do shoulder stand from ego, or you can do it with a balanced state of mind? Right? And that's why a lot of people get hurt, is because they do it from ego, they push themselves too hard. Another thing is to be thinking about is you want to consider um, this is by all means consider more of an advanced or an intermediate pose, but what styles of yoga do or use shoulder stand? Ashtanga. Ashtanga. Yeah. Yeah. I gave you some sequences and pictures, and there's two different um, sequences to start to get you on your path to understanding the practice, and one of them I gave you was Ashtanga. But Iyengar Yoga does it, yeah. And um, most power vinyasa classes uh, can do, you know, go into them. Um, Hatha Yoga does it too. You know, uh, most styles of yoga can use this, and that's why it's kind of a misnomer to think of this as more of an intermediate or advanced pose because truly if you're properly guiding your students, you should be able to get them into the pose very easily. Uh, it is intermediate if you feel you're not ready to teach it. How's that? A lot of people just want to have a set sequence that is comfortable and not super advanced until they start finding their teacher's feet, you know, until they start finding their teacher's voice. 
So the pre-poses for shoulder stand or the prep poses, number three, would be basically this list that we're gonna go through tonight. The rabbit pose, the bridge pose, plow pose, ear pressure, and that'll help you to really get into the pose. Who do you think can do shoulder stand now that we've kind of talked about some of the issues to watch out for? Most people? Mm -hmm. Do you think that people who are um, disabled can find ways to, to find shoulder stand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that whether you're able-bodied or disabled or um, recovering from an injury, there's always ways to modify a pose and make it accessible to everyone. And uh, what is, from that list, the best variation of this pose? The one that's from the balanced mind, yeah? Right? This one is always a go-to. What's this called? Yep. Legs up the ball pose. Good job. And then a question for you to think about when you get home for your journaling is number seven, being upside down challenges your view on the world, both literally and metaphorically. It can teach you how to get out of your habits and take a break from the norm. So what do you do to break out of your habits when you feel stuck? And how do you flip perspectives? And since this is a tech, I also put in all my texts to things to think about when doing adjustments on students. Your most powerful tool as a teacher is your, are your words. It's your voice. It's how you cue and how articulate you are in your verbal cueing. It's also your tone of voice and your fluctuation. And that you as a teacher set the timing and the pacing for your class. And you as the teacher are the supporting force or the motivating force to get the students to be prepared for what they're going to do. You want to also, when you're talking about the poses, really give space to adjust for their bodies. Because you might have someone who has a large body or you might have someone who has a real frail body. You might have someone who has just an issue that day in their head that makes them very imbalanced. And you want to help them to modify for their skeleton and their body type. So that means as you're cueing, you have to really think about cueing for different people. And you want to also really breathe with your student. When you breathe with your student, it gives you an amazing opportunity to really kind of find your center so that you, in turn, aren't teaching to yourself, but you're teaching to the student. Does that help? I'd like to go to page one, where it starts talking about uh, the postures. Because before we go into the physical practice of uh, going through Satu Bandha and going through uh, 
legs up the wall pose and halasana plow and karnapindasana, your ear pressure pose. I want to really talk to you about the idea of every pose is Tadasana. And if you as a teacher really, really think about every pose is Tadasana, then all the potent effects of each practice, each pose that you teach is going to really affect you. So you want to think of that Tadasana is all about being centered and focusing on your alignment. And just like trees are a huge, huge metaphor for yoga practice, I always like to think of like if you root down through your mula bandha, if you root down through your feet, and then you allow yourself to take a stand and rise up, then you'll bear fruit. But you can't grow a leaf on a tree, you can't bud a flower, you can't kind of fruit or blossom anything without being totally in alignment and having a strong foundation for your practice. Tadasana is the ability to hold yourself upright in a way that allows your physical and emotional self to be your best self. And so if you think about cueing shoulder stand from Tadasana, every single thing the person does is going to be safe for their neck and their shoulders and their ribcage. And the ability for Tadasana is, allows you the ability to flow with your life's challenges both on and off the mat. And just like the king and the queen of your practice, when you do a Tadasana in every pose, that means that your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands. So that center, that Agni of the inhale and the exhale, the prana and the apana, it's always your base. Kind of makes it really simple too because if you always think of your center being your breath, then you can shift smoothly into a, um, a steady and easeful state, which yogis like to call shtira sukha asana. Do you know what shtira is? Steadily, right? Your strength, your shtira, it always makes me feel strong. Shtira, strong. And then you've got your easeful state, your sukha, your sweetness. Um, sukha is, uh, uh, yeah, sweet. So it gives you the um, ability to have power and stillness, or what yogis like to call effortless effort, an equal distribution of things. And then you're balancing the ha and the ta, but you know, we were just talking about how ha and ta means sun and moon, or hatha yoga, but actually hatha also means force or masterful. masterful. Because a lot of times people don't, they think of it as just like a kind of an explanation of a practice, but hatha really does mean forceful. So your inhales and your exhales are working together the power and harness that pure potentiality of the breath. And when you think of every pose as Tadasana, it allows you to um, teach the pose from modifications on up. Because we always start teaching Tadasana from our feet, from the ground up. So it makes it a little bit easier when you cue, just keep thinking about the body parts and the phases that you would be teaching. 
And then the final thing is that I want to always really offer you that, that inner reservoir of power, your prana, your breath, allows you to create the freedom, the moksha. So you want to be the observer of this conscious active breath that increases the capacity of your body-mind to handle any demand without upsetting the intrinsic equilibrium, which is your shtirasukha. And it allows you to stay balanced. And that inner state of equilibrium and peace gives you your sense of well-being. And now we're going to counteract the impact of gravity and really practice. But since we're moving into these poses, I want you to think about the fact that we haven't gone through a full-on vinyasa practice. So we're going to go in slowly and calmly and then have the opportunity to ask questions and move around and feel things that we need to feel. Um, another thing that I think is really cool about this pose is that it helps you to sleep better. And it's a good thing that this is a late night tech so that we can practice sleeping after when we go home and have a really good meal. <laughs> so let's fuel our flame of awareness and allow ourselves to practice shoulder stand. <laughs> 